topic today is digging deep. Uh, James gave me quite a bit of, I think he gave me quite a bit of leeway. I, I took, hope I wasn't <laughs> taking license there. But I, he mentioned digging deep three or four weeks ago, and it's been resonating with me uh, ever since, and I never thought I'd be asked to speak. But as soon as I was, I felt, no, I, this is something I do want to share, and I think it's, it's, um, it's enriched me, and I hope I can share something of that this morning. And um, digging deep. I think in today's world, most of us, when we hear the expression digging deep, think of sports games, right? You hear about the team that's not done very well, and maybe they've had injuries and sorts of things like that, and then they dig deep, and somehow, miraculously, they get new strength, new vigor, and they win the game, as did our dear uh, cricket team fairly recently. So there are, there are these examples that we're familiar with, but uh, the story that I'm looking at is a very, very well-known story. You're going to say, oh, no, we've heard this a few times. And you will have, maybe a hundred times. But I still think we can dig deep and get more out of it. Because uh, Jesus obviously thought it was a very important story. He told it carefully. He retold it. He explained it. And it comes twice in the Bible and is picked up by other writers when they are speaking as well. So I think it's a really, really important story. It's really about paying attention. I think that was my topic. Yes, James? Paying attention. And really, uh, let's pay attention to a very familiar story, and I believe um, it might resonate with you. Um, okay, the story's in Matthew 13. Okay, we'll, we'll go to the, the context of Matthew 13. Jesus is speaking to an enormous crowd. He did have the way of attracting large numbers of people. And in fact, the crowd was so great that on that occasion, he got into a boat and he, he went out from the shore a little bit so that he could see all the people on the shore. They could hear him and see him. And he gave a story. And it's the story of the sower, the parable of the sower. I'll just read it. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's the essence of the story. Thank you, for, uh, 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 Judah, for reading from Hebrews, because he's focused on the seed, the seed of God, the good seed, the productive seed. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So there's nothing wrong with the seed that was sown on this occasion. It's worth bearing in mind. It wasn't that you had to go back and say the seed was defective and it was only good sometimes and not good at other times. Nothing wrong with the seed. Jesus is saying that really the important thing is where the seed lands. Okay? So some landed on what was essentially the road, the pathway. Hard, trodden path. 
I don't know if there's anybody in that category here, but these are the people who are totally resistant. For whatever reason, 100% will not hear, notice, or apply what I'm saying today. 100%. It would just whoosh, water off a duck's back. You'll be here because of the coffee or a friend or some other reason, but not to hear the word of God. So if you are like that rocky place. There are, in most congregations, some in that category. I'd like to think not today, but... Only God knows hearts. Then there's a second group, and you've got to. This is all about digging deep. So there is a no digging took place in number one, but in this, this one, a little, a little bit. You can imagine a, a, somebody with a, a spade, and they just dig very shallow, soft area. But as soon as they hit the rock below, oh, too much like hard work. They don't go further. They stop at that point. So there's a nice little layer of dug soil, but it's, it's shallow. So when these seed lands in that one, wow, the, everybody in the church is going to be so excited because this person will look like they've really grown spiritually. You should see John or Mary or whoever. Wow, you know, the word of God is active in their lives. I see that they're growing in the faith and it's looking so beautiful and their face is shining. But, you know, a week or two later, people are saying, have you seen John lately? No. So, oh, where, where did Mary go? I don't know. What happened? And you eventually find out what happened was maybe a family member said, don't go along with that rubbish. Or maybe somebody at work said, oh, goodness, how old-fashioned is that? Or some other remark like that just scorched that little tiny plant. And because it was shallow, just withered away and blew away in the Wellington wind. And you look in the soil and there's not a sign of it, not even like the trampoline you found. <laughs> it's gone. Shallow, shallow, shallow. I hope there's nobody in the shallow category because you're not going to last. You might hear the word today. You may seem to be really alive, but we'll look for you this time next year. Where are they? You're shallow. Then there's the third category, thorns. I've been thinking about this one because what does it mean? What, what does it mean to be in thorny ground? Now, do some digging. You may come up with another conclusion here. But I think it's possible that there had been some digging, um, but thorns had come up before good stuff had been sown in there. Or maybe the, the farmer looked and he thought, oh, no, too prickly, I can't manage that. Who knows? But this is thorny ground. And to me, a thorn, if you think of thorny plants, they're normally very strong, very, very strong, and extremely painful to, to land on. A thorny person to me, and this is, of course, all about people, a thorny person to me is a person who's put up a lot of protection. Don't come near me. I don't want to change. And I certainly don't want any of the stuff you're giving to me because I'm, I'm not interested. I don't want it. Thorns, a big layer of protection. In fact, in most places in the East, they use thorn hedges. So there's a hedge around that person's heart. Very solid, very scary. If you get too close, they may be quite nasty to you and hurt you because that's what thorns do. They hurt. So there are some people who are like a thorny field. Now, you may have a different explanation for that. The only other one I have is that sometimes in the Old Testament, thorns are associated with rebellion. Remember Isaiah 55. Instead of the thorn will come the fir tree, implying that a thorn is... Yeah, a rebellious, useless, unproductive, unfruitful, painful life. 
as opposed to the fir tree, which is beautiful and everlastingly green. Um, there may be other explanations, but I personally, at the moment, I'm sitting with the, uh, the protective hedge one because I think that that is where a lot of people are. And we can all be at different points in our lives and refuse to receive the word God wants to give us because we know it's going to be costly. Um, that's, a th that's a thorny one. Okay, and then I'm going to go back here. Okay. My darling Graham is a gardener, as you all know, probably most of you. He loves being in his vegetable garden. It's his happy place. And uh, so I said to him, okay, so what's the value of digging deep? And because he's a teacher and a scientist and a gardener, he immediately said, one, two, <laughs> three, and four. And number one was, it softens the soil so plants can grow and put down deep roots. This is pretty well word for word what he said to me. I was very impressed. Secondly, because the soil is softened by the digging, rain and other water can go deeper and keep the plant freshly supplied with water so that they don't droop and wither like the shallow one. Thirdly, there are valuable nutrients deeper down, and by digging you bring these closer to the surface where the plants can benefit from them and grow healthy and productive. And thirdly, by digging deeper you can also easily uproot and remove weeds. Well, I can't improve on that. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay. Digging deep. We're going to focus on this one. First of all, in order to be dug, to have our lives dug deep, requires several things. It requires humility, which is accepting, as I think Judah was saying, that we're not we don't believe that we're ever going to be good enough to be with God. We don't believe, in our faith as Christians, we do not believe that we can ever reach the standard that is required of human beings to be holy and acceptable and approach God, number one. So we need to be dealt with. And it starts with being submissive to God and allowing him to work in our lives. And that can be painful and it can be costly it can be very terrifying. You imagine the soil with this blade coming down towards it. It's not a comfortable picture. It's a very uncomfortable picture. And it can be a very uncomfortable process, speaking from experience. We, in some ways, all of us would actually prefer just to be left alone. It's comfortable, sort of. Not really. But, you know, we can kid ourselves we're comfortable. But first requirement of the Christian faith, if we are to be fruitful... We have to allow Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We have to allow him to do that digging work in us. Um, could be with a spade. Uh, in India, when I was brought up, the main thing to do was to have, there was a sort of sharp blade, and either um, if they were poor, the farmer himself would push that along, or if he had a little bit of money, he would have one oxen to pull it along, or if he had a bit more money, he would have more, and the whole thing grows to the point where you have huge tractors nowadays with multiple discs who carefully uproot and dig and plough the field. But it's the same picture, essentially. Dealing with the soil. Soil that is hard, softening it. Soil that is resistant becoming loose and free and ready for God's work in our lives. 
See, the, the water is like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was present this morning. I don't know if you're aware of him or not, but he was definitely here this morning. And I think he was there to do different things in each one of our lives. But it depends what our hearts li is like, whether we actually receive his Holy Spirit, whether those words meant anything to us or it was just like a, a nice tune or, oh, that was the violin, was it? Oh, okay. Were we at that level or do we actually allow the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to each one of us? Because he is so amazing. He knows you're unique. He knows your unique history, your unique genetic makeup, everything about you. He is speaking, willing to speak, I should say, to each one of us uniquely. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. And it's amazing. He does it to every person differently. So if I were to sit here and tell, or stand here and tell you what he said to me, and he said some amazing things to me, I'm sure each one of you would have had completely different things because that's how marvelous our God is. And the nutrients deep down. I've been thinking about this quite a bit as well. Things that are deep down in us may represent things from our own past. You know, sometimes wonderful things happened to us years ago. We've completely forgotten about them. But we need reminding. So dig down deep and I mustn't forget that. That was a treasure. That was a wonderful thing God gave to me. It's still available to work in my life. Maybe I've neglected it, but it's still there. It's not too late to do some digging. Maybe we need a journal or something to help us sometimes to do that digging, to remember. I was talking to, not talking to, yes, I was talking to. In the cathedral on Friday, a, uh, the Japanese priest there, very gentle, beautiful woman, and I was fascinated by her spiritual autobiography because being Japanese, her words and her thought process are so different from mine, but I found that so refreshing and so beautiful. And I felt it was such a privilege then to actually meet her and speak with her. And uh, we were comparing notes of the ways in which Jesus has revealed himself to us. And uh, she was saying to me, you have to share that. You have to share that. That's treasure. Yes, it's treasure. I'm not going to share it today, but some of you already know some of those treasures. But it is true that when God gives us a treasure, it is to work in our own hearts, but it's usually to share with other people as well. Another sort of nutrient um, could be relationships. Maybe he's, uh, the Holy Spirit suddenly reminds you of somebody you knew a long time ago and you've forgotten about that person. But they're of great value to God. And he wants you to remember that person. Maybe you need to email them or maybe you need to text them or, or just pray for them. But there's, that's another point. There are so many ways in which God reveals himself. Maybe it's a verse of the Bible you haven't thought about. It's time to dig deeper. To, If you can't think of the, what to do, ask, ask the Lord Jesus, why did that come into my mind? Why did I suddenly remember that person or that text? What is there that I need to, to do? What do I, how do I need to change at this point? Um, the fourth one is uprooting and removing weeds. Sometimes we love our weeds. Is that a problem for some people? They're quite pretty, some of them, and they've got nice little flowers and, you know. But 
if they're weeds, they're weeds. And we have to be, again, willing to have the courage to say that is a weed. It's not productive. It's taking up space in the garden. It's using up energy, which should be going to the, the, the plants that are significant. So they need to be uprooted. And um, I don't want to go into details of what he's had to uproot in my life because it may be different for each person. I think it is. And you need to hear for yourself. Have you got any weeds in your life? But most of us do. And sometimes our garden becomes very cluttered very quickly with weeds, other things. So to be productive, these are some of the ways in which I believe our soil, the soil of our heart, can be made ready for God to work in us. It takes time, but it's the only way of fruitfulness. There's no other way. I don't believe there's any other way. The, the hard ground will never become fruitful if it is left as it is, ever, never. It's never going to grow productively. So there has to be change. There has to be some digging taking place. It's no, not an option. Another thing that happens when you're digging Digging um, not only uproots weeds and things like that, but sometimes you can even find a great treasure. This is less likely to happen in New Zealand now uh, than it would be, say, in England, where they dig up Roman coins and treasures suddenly and all sorts. Wow, wouldn't that be fun to go into your garden and start digging up some amazing thing 2,000 years old or whatever? But it's not so likely to happen here. But, you know, speaking spiritually, there are sometimes great treasures uh, to be had. And I could think of several examples. They just came to me as I was thinking. Um, treasures in the Bible, I think, are secrets and mysteries of the kingdom of God. Because all of, all of Matthew 13, it actually has six or seven, depending how you number it, uh, stories or parallels, parab parables of the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is the king of kings. He came to earth with great humility, but he came, he's still a king. Just because he didn't go around wearing a crown and riding a big horse and wearing velvet purple clothes didn't mean he wasn't a king. He's the Lord of the universe. And he came in great humility and great simplicity, and he told simple stories to simple people to explain his kingdom. So when he speaks, we have to start learning to treasure what he says. And some of these stories we just pass by, but they, I'm nearly 80. I'm still learning. I'm going to be on this earth until, I, until Jesus thinks I've learned enough. Then he can take me home. But in the meantime, I'm very happy to be, I hope I'm happy to be Doug. I want to be, uh, give him permission to keep on digging me and keep on teaching me and keep on revealing his treasures to me because there are some wonderful treasures. Um... I've just been spending the last year or two uh, doing some amazing research on revivals in New Zealand, and there are just so many of them. But just one that came to my mind as relevant here was the story of this um, man called James Dickey. He was a very honourable man. He had a reputation for being extremely um, uh, faithful, a man of great integrity. But he was alone one January the 1st, back well over 100 years ago, 150 years ago, and he decided, because he was alone, he'd read his Bible. And he turned to John 3, where it talks about, you must, Jesus said, you must be born again. And he thought, you know, he's a churchgoer, good man. 
I actually have no idea what that means. You must be born again. What does it mean? And he thought, I'm alone. There's nobody here. There's nothing to, no, no timetable or anything. I'll sit here until I find out what it means. So he stayed in the presence of God for, I don't know whether it was hours, it was a long time. And revelation poured into his heart of the meaning of that phrase, you must be born again. He was completely transformed. He was so excited he couldn't wait to tell his neighbors. And within the shortest time, the people of that district were completely turned around and many, many, many of them came to faith in Jesus. Their first response when he began to speak to them was to say, oh, no. But then they thought, this, we, we can trust this man. We know him. We can trust him. And they began to listen. And as they began to listen, they were revived. They were changed. And I think there were 40 of them, one to the Lord, very quickly from this little farming community. And then an even more amazing thing happened. People who were out in the fields digging, plowing, and that sort of thing, suddenly the Spirit of God came upon them so powerfully they began to weep and shake with a sense of the fear of God. And they knew that something was wrong and something had to happen. And they sought God and they were also transformed. So a great revival broke out. I think it was called the Waikawa Valley Revival. It wasn't the only time revival came there later again. But something was dug that day by James Dickey, a humble man. All he did was say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to stay here until you show me what you mean. Now, some of you here may be just as puzzled about the communion because it is another mystery of the kingdom. It really is. It's so strange. And if you don't know, if you don't understand spiritually, you're going to think that is the most strange weird thing that's going on here, whatever could it possibly mean. I encourage you to dig deep. You dig deep. You look. You see what it means. You say, God, you are the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. You reveal to me your mystery because it is a great mystery. It's one of the great mysteries of the faith. And it's not explained by anybody else, really. It's got to be explained by God to your own heart. Dig deep. It's worth it. Dig deep. None of these treasures come lightly. Many of these treasures came out through people being willing to die for their faith. They're not born lightly. Um, the example I gave you of James Dickey has a somewhat of a parallel. In India, a friend of ours called Pastor Vincent, who was pastor of a church, and um, he came to Acts chapter 2, and he read it and he thought, what? Ever does this mean? He said, I'm supposed to be, you know, the teacher. I'm supposed to be telling people what it means. I haven't a clue what it means. He again decided to pray and fast until he found out what it meant. And he was totally transformed. And long story, well, short story, long story, uh, he went on to lead his entire church into revival. And from that church, people were establishing churches in all the areas around his, not only in South India, North India, the mountains, the islands nearby, and today some of them, in, in uh, last I heard, one of them was, was ministering in Switzerland and other places as well. So that man dug deep. He found treasure. He shared that treasure. And it continues today, many years later, to still be productive. There's a great treasure. 
And there are so many more treasures in, in Matthew 13. If you just look at that particular chapter, you can ask for each one. If you don't instantly get the meaning, don't be surprised because they're not, uh, they don't yield their secrets cheaply. So as you dig, will you find a hidden dream, a neglected relationship, a neglected Bible passage, a neglected call of God, or something altogether different? Those of you who are softened by the Spirit of God, who are able to hear these words, think about that. And I strongly advise you not to be like the people who just let that word wash over them, pass by, and think about something different. We have so many hours in a day. We have so many days in a week. And as long as we're on this earth, let's be willing to learn. Let's be willing to listen. Let's be willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our hearts, to keep speaking to us, because he has so much treasure to reveal to us. And when he speaks to us, I think there are two main, three main things to do. First of all, is to allow God to sow that word deeply in our own hearts so it isn't just going to be forgotten in a minute. And secondly, to share it. There are going to be those who need to hear it. Not everybody is willing to hear the mystery. But God will show you which ones are. Be ready to share the mystery with somebody else. And then keep on asking God to remind you and to cherish that word, to apply that word, and to live it out because it requires obedience. It requires sometimes a big change of direction. Many of us have been listening to um, messages about the Asbury Revival, probably everybody here just about. And some of the things that struck me about that, they allowed themselves to be interrupted. They allowed the people who started that revival were just ordinary students who chose to stay and worship and keep on worshiping. And as they kept on worshiping, God began to do this work and revealing things, revealing weeds that had to go, revealing relationships that needed to change, and so on and so on. And as they changed, as they continued and continued to worship, the more and more people were drawn in to be part of that worship, more and more people to be part of that revival. And I understand it's now spread to a number of other universities, not only in the States, but in other parts of the world also. One who was at that Asbury revival said that he had been at the Asbury revival back in 1970. Some of us can remember 1970. So sorry for some of you who can't. It was wonderful. That was another time for a great revival for some of us. And uh, this particular person was saying that in some ways he sees similarities because in that great revival back in the 70s in Asbury, same university, um, the presence of God was so sweet, so beautiful. He said some of us, we had just been bathing in the presence of God for so long. And then we thought, no, we really, must go to the, we really must go to that seminar or that lecture or anything. The thing is that sometimes God interrupts our schedule. 
And they said that God was so present, so powerful, they tried to crawl out and they couldn't even move. They could not leave. They had to keep worshipping. It was the, the presence of God was so strong. They, they, there's no way they could move away from his presence. They didn't want to and they physically couldn't. Isn't that amazing? So beautiful. A presence of God. And that's, isn't that what we're all longing for? We talk about heaven, but isn't it the presence of God that is the f- main feature of heaven? Mm-hmm. Now, see, if we don't love God, we'll be like those people who say, but who wants to go to heaven anyway? You're sitting on clouds strumming on a harps or something? I don't want that. This is a complete nonsense. But when you come to know who God is, and you come to understand something of his love and his joy and his peace, his infinite creativity. What's not to like? He's wonderful. He's amazing. I've had enough little glimpses of of heaven to know that it's going to be wonderful. But at the same time, we don't want to go there ahead of time because he has work for us to do. And a lot of it relates to digging. A lot of it relates to digging. Because it's only as we allow him by his Holy Spirit to dig in us that we're going to become fruitful and productive. And as long as we are fruitful and productive here and working for his kingdom, it's where we need to be. It's where we need to be. And I don't know how long that is for each one of you. I don't know how long it is for me. But let's be about his business. Let's be doing what he has has for us to do. Shall we pray? Holy, great, glorious, wonderful, heavenly Father. I thank you that you are the one who sees every heart here. And you love every person here so much. You love each person here enough to send Jesus to live a life of pain and sorrow and great difficulty because you loved us so much. And we thank you that Jesus was willing, that Jesus came, he died, he shed his blood for us. We thank you, Lord, that death did not have the final victory, sin did not have the final victory, that Jesus, you overcame sin and you overcame death, and that you are now alive forevermore. And Lord, we thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to continue to speak in our hearts, to continue to reveal your secrets and your mysteries to us. Father, I pray that each one of us will be willing, willing to take the time, willing to allow you to dig deep in our hearts, to dig deep into our lives, to show us what we need to do, to give us the courage to make the right choices, And to you be all the glory and all the praise, for only you are worthy. Amen. I hide here under your shade. I'm held here. Covered by grace, I lean in as you call me your own, my beloved, 
Come apart, come apart 